Good evening, uh, good morning, wherever you are. My name is Thomas Steininger, and I welcome you to Redevolve, our webcast for consciousness and culture. I'm very happy to have with me uh, from US, Lonnie Jarrett. Lonnie, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. How are you? Thanks a lot for having me. Lonnie, it's really great to have you here. You are a clin clinical practice. Uh, you have a clinical practice in Chinese medicine, uh, and you're practicing in Stockbridge uh, in Massachusetts since 1986. And you're also author of several uh, well-known books. One book about Norwegian destiny, the inner tradition of Chinese medicine, and also the clinical practice of Chinese medicine. And I would like to ask you as someone who is uh, obviously American, but you uh, studied uh, Chinese medicine since many years. Uh, you are a worldwide known authority in Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. You also, if I'm right, you speak Chinese yourself. And uh, No, I don't speak it, but I, I know a fair amount of the language relative So I don't really speak Chinese. So um, I would just would like to ask you, as someone who knows Chinese tradition from a Western perspective very deeply, yeah. and you know it from a scholarship, but you also know it as a practitioner. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Chinese medicine is very different than our uh, traditional Western or modern Western medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know both worlds, you're, you're kind of uh, familiar with both worlds, mm -hmm. and you work in a country in the U.S. Uh, that, of course, is a Western country. And I would like to ask you, uh, first, what's the difference between Chinese medicine and medicine as we know it? Sure. So if we, if, if we imagine that language emerges with mind, then we can just, if we look at a paragraph of English, French, Spanish, or German, a paragraph of Latin, any of the Romance languages, and we look at a paragraph of Chinese, without really knowing very much, we don't have to know much about language, we don't have to be scholars of language to just visually look and understand that a very different mind with a very different worldview, living in a very different world space, fashion these two languages. Yeah. And we can we can understand the difference between them as a metaphor for the differences in cognition and the differences in worldview between them. What we call Western medicine, Western biomedicine. You know, doctors take the Hippocratic Oath to do no wrong, but there's no doc almost no doctor if you walked into any hospital in the world who could philosophically discuss Hippocrates to you and what anything Hippocrates taught or said has to do with anything that goes on in that man or woman's clinical practice on a daily mm -hmm. level. The foundational texts of Chinese medicine, the Neiqing, the Nanqing, and the Ling Shu, were written in the Han Dynasty 500 to 300 BC. If we're really honest about tra tracing what we call biomedicine now back, we're going to go to the Industrial Revolution 
during modernity and the advent of technology in the mid-1800s, with the explosion of that technology now daily through the present, in terms of revealing a world space looking at health that really is confined to the body and the structure of the body with increasing fidelity. So early on you get blood pressure cuffs and x-ray machines and oscilloscopes. And now we have, you know, MRIs and um, CAT scans. And we can look at the fine detailed structure of the body, even in an electron microscope, down to, down to the level, level of um, proteins, mm-hmm. down to the level of organelles and the proteins on the surfaces of the organelles. So Western medicine is a very evolved science of structure. And of course, when we call it Western medicine now, we'll acknowledge that it's gone all over the world. Mm-hmm. When you go into a hospital in China, if you have a gunshot wound or you broke your leg in a car accident, they don't rush you immediately into an acupuncturist. You're going to see a surgeon and they're going to practice that kind of medicine. So the peak efficacy of this physical medicine is emergency room medicine. It's critical care, life-saving intervention right now. So if you're shot by a gun, you're in a car crash, you break your leg skiing, or you come down with an infectious disease like coronavirus or Ebola, or even a long-term chronic infectious disease like hepatitis C can now be cured. And this is through physical intervention in the physical body symptomatically to save life. And Western medicine is the best science, the, the best medicine based on the science that has ever emerged to do that. But it ignores two very important components of medicine. And these two components are prevention. Mm-hmm. There's no prevention in Western medicine when you you could argue that flossing and brushing your teeth is preventive. But it would be hard to think of anything done preventively past that. If a woman goes for a mammogram or you go for a colonoscopy, they're not preventing pathology. They're detecting it early on when it's in an incipient stage of forming. It's already present physically. You mm-hmm. can only measure what's pre- physically present. The other place they fall down is when it comes to long-term care of chronic conditions that involve the whole human being, not just body, but mind and spirit. So you can see when it comes to applying Western biomedicine to treating things that we would consider conditions of the psyche and conditions of the soul, the answer is to give a physical medication to the body to repress the symptom. Hmm. And therefore, you see all kinds of side effects, of course, in terms of the liver and the kidneys having to detox this, but also because the fundamental, the person hasn't been met at the level of mind. They haven't been met at the level of soul or spirit. Shadow hasn't been addressed and revealed. There hasn't been a holistic or an integral approach to the human being. So you just see all, you see such a high rate of suicide on benzodiazepines and, and, 
um, side effects of depression. And of course, the depression and the anxiety over time is growing deeper because the fundamental cause of it isn't being addressed. In Chinese medicine, for out of the 2,500 years of history, tech, what we call modern technology has only existed for the last 150 years. So we've had 2,500 years to sit and listen to people, to listen to the tone in their voice, smell, smell their odor, see the color around the face, feel empathetically their emotion, look at their eye movements, their behavior, their facial characteristics, and relate all the signs that a person is putting out in the moment to the symptoms that they have and to be able to understand their symptoms as they appear in the soul, in the psyche, and in the body from a unified viewpoint that understands the physical, the psychological, the soul, the ego level um, expressions of of disease as as a, the human condition spans all these different dimensions of self, and we're able to understand what process must have give, what process most likely occurred to give rise to the human being sitting there talking to us. What are the functional processes? How are those functional processes manifesting psychologically and behaviorally and physically in terms of their symptoms? And what changes need to be made to produce a different future? May I ask you a very simple question? Uh, yeah. That's maybe too simple, uh, although maybe too overreaching. Uh-huh. Uh, why? Why? Did the West go this way? Uh, I can understand uh, that China, as you're describing, basically they have, have not developed technology and a technological perspective in this way. But mm-hmm. it's not that uh, uh, Western medicine has no history. I mean, we, we, had, we have Egyptian medicine, we have Greek medicine, we have medieval medicine. Uh, there's a lot of the wisdom that, that you're describing is part of our history. Mm-hmm. But we kind of left it out. We we went to something that people now would call a mechanical, uh, materialist me- medicine. Sure. Uh, why uh, uh, why uh, did the develop the West develop in this way? And what is missing? And of course, we cannot go back. But is there an integration of what uh, one could call a materialist, materialistic perspective, and something what you call uh, uh, different bodies that a Western mm-hmm. med- uh, Western sci- science uh, point of view would kind of ask you what is this about different bodies? Uh, how, how should these different perspectives come together? Is there even a way to do this? Well, of course, yes, of course, there's a way to do it, and the way to do it is integral synthesis. I'm answering the last part of the question first, yes, and, 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 and then and then we'll get to the first part of the question, but. If we talk about holism, yeah. very simply we can say holism is the capacity to make systems of systems. Mm-hmm. You see this in the East in terms of Chinese medicine as a system of systems. So we have different medicines based on different numbering systems. And we have medicines that are for infectious diseases. And we have medicines, of course, that are for long-term chronic diseases that come from 
an inappropriate placement of attention on emotions or on thoughts. And we understand the interaction of all these different models for how how a disease on the inside can manifest in the exterior of the body as a physical symptom like a tumor, Mm -hmm. and how climatic change outside of us and infectious disease can penetrate from the exterior to the inside to yield psychological symptoms. So Chinese medicine is a system of systems, and you can see this in the West as the hyphen. Now we we have psychoneuroimmunology. Mm-hmm. So when I went through neurobiology mm-hmm. 40 years ago, and I, I went through graduate school in the early 80s, prior to that, you had psychologists and immunologists and neurobiologists, and now they just keep adding hyphens. So they, you start to understand the relationship of the brain to the relationship uh-huh. of the gut. They're starting to make they're starting to understand how all the doctors with their different mm-hmm. who specialize in different systems are actually all looking at one thing. Yeah. They're actually all looking at one thing. Uh, let me try to question this. Yeah, uh, because uh, uh, if I understand you right, you were basically saying Chinese medicine is a system of system of systems in that sense. Well. So the answer to this is integral medicine. So in the West, we're starting to make systems of systems, psychoneuroimmunology, brain-gut access. Specialists in different fields now realize that their systems are interrelated. So they use the hyphen between all these different fields, between all the different specializations to come together. Similarly, in Chinese medicine, We have systems of systems, but integral is systems of systems of systems. And what that means is I can talk to a patient, look at their color, sound, odor, and emotion, look at their tongue, look in their eye, feel their pulse, palpate their abdomen, practice Chinese medicine, and at the same time I can say, you know, I think you should go get a blood test and have your creatinine checked. Mm -hmm. And I can look at the result of their entire blood test and their urine test, and I can mm-hmm. be, hold Chinese medicine and Western medicine and see no incongruence between them and completely integrate them into an integral appraisal. The Chinese medicine tends to excel in terms of understanding the functional processes that underlie physical manifestation. Western medicine excels at quantifying and making distinctions regarding physical manifestations. So it's very easy to just put the two together and understand Western biomedicine and that materialistic reductionist approach as limiting itself to the tip of an iceberg that Chinese medicine can completely acknowledge as body while at the same time dealing with the qualia, the quality of functioning Mm -hmm. underlying the manifestation of the physical symptoms. And and then I can use acupuncture and herbs, nutritional device, Mm -hmm. exercise advice, lifestyle counseling to help the person enact a more integrated and wholesome worldview mm-hmm. to produce a different physical outcome. Yeah. Let me hone in on, on this 
more integral, wholesome worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also what you called the materialist reductionist perspective on this. Yes. Because mm-hmm. um, I think uh, my assumption uh, uh, is that obviously Chinese medicine with their also success is showing and proving something which is a limitation of our understanding what medicine is about. The, the very simple and very well-known example is acupuncture, Western medicine has to basically admit statistically the acupuncture is working, mm-hmm. but has no clue why it can work. They also don't know how aspirin works, though. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, but uh, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, they have consistent theories why it could work. Right. And, and they have difficulties why acupuncture could work. So what I'm saying that maybe without going back to mythical or archaic understanding of reality, yes. uh, just because it is such a sophisticated system that developed over thousands of years yes. and shows something and is working, it also is capable of showing shadow sides and uh, missing parts of our reductionist way how we see reality. And that that's maybe also how I understand you, yeah. uh, allows us or even forces us mm-hmm to find more integrative ways how we can bring these different perspectives together. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if it, so, I mean, it's just interesting. So when I went to the University of Michigan in neurobiology, I had to propose my doctoral research, and I proposed doing it on the innervation of a collection of acupuncture points using the new imaging technologies and radio and you know, assays and the different scientific methods to just study these points and see if they're really mapped onto the brain in the same regions that the Chinese had said um, they were correlated with organs. So in other words, is a point on the liver meridian mapped onto the same brain that the liver's mapped onto mm-hmm. in the nervous system? Is it mapped into the same part of the spinal cord? And where does it terminate in the brain? And I presented this, and essentially, this was in 1981 or two, and essentially I was asked to leave the program. Uh I was given a master's degree, and I was told nobody is going to use a PhD from our program to promote voodoo. But now the head of the Society for Acupuncture Research is a professor in that program. Interesting. So you see, what's interesting, getting back to the original question, we can see that Chinese language and Western language come from different minds, but we have done, you asked me, why did we take these different paths? And what's interesting, you know, Tom, the path we're on really is a result of capitalism in the West and the consolidation of power that goes back to something called the Flexner Report in 1917. And prior to the Flexner Report and the consolidation by a small group of Western physicians, Mm -hmm. just really 60 or 70 years into the advent of real technology, they decided to consolidate power. And prior to the Flexner Report, there were medical schools teaching homeopathy and practicing herbalism. And what the Flexner Report did is it shut down all the hospitals in America and it shut down all the medical schools that taught women, that taught blacks. It consolidated the power. The AMA 
the, the center of this was Chicago, and that's why the AMA is based in Chicago. And in that, in that early 1900s, there were physicians killing each other in the streets at war with each other over the paradigm that was going to predominate in this country. And so we see this paradigm because a small group of people were able to consolidate political and economic power and then push one form of medicine. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, we have to understand that Western medicine includes homeopathy, that in the West we've had astrology, which is, I'm not arguing for or against astrology, but as a typing system, it offers very deep insight into underlying functional processes and qualities of expression in human being, not much different than the Enneagram if it's used that way. And um, as I was telling you before we had this discussion, you know, Paul Unschuld, one of the, the, perhaps probably the leading translator of Chinese medicine, points to the relationship between the Greeks and the Chinese during the Han Dynasty when those texts were written. So there was still cultural interaction. And we have to understand that in the in the early 1900s, you had this consolidation in the West by materialists. Mm-hmm. But it hit China in 1947. Mm-hmm. And in up to ni- by 1947, when Chairman Mao and the Marxists consolidated power in China, Chinese medicine had been abandoned as a state medicine. It had stopped developing for 200 years. It was practiced. There were scholars of it, but it was mostly practiced at at a folk level and by family doctors in different towns and different family lineages. There were no more state-sponsored universities of the medicine. And in 1940. It's either 47, 48, 49, I forget the year, but in that time period at the end of the 40s, Chairman Mao makes this declaration. He's faced with trying to take a pre-modern country into modernity. They don't have a lot of Western-trained doctors, and most of the country is rural, and they cannot set up sophisticated hospitals in every rural municipality. So he makes the statement that traditional Chinese medicine, he coins the term himself, traditional Chinese medicine, is a vast treasure house that has been neglected and must be restored according to the principles of dialectical materialism. Mm. And he brings peasants from every town to get a month-long training program in the cities to go back and become what are called barefoot doctors. At that time, Richard Nixon, so now 30 years goes by, Richard Nixon goes to China in 1972 with Henry Kissinger. James Reston, who's a reporter for the Washington Post, gets appendicitis. Mm-hmm. He's allergic to, to painkillers, so post-operationally they use acupuncture for him on the pain, for the pain. He writes an editorial in the Washington Post about acupuncture. At exactly that time, two researchers at McGill University in Canada, um, Ronald Melzack and Patrick Wall, are championing what's called the gate control theory of pain, 
based on uh, gates run by endorphins and enkephalins, endogenous opiates in the central nervous system. And they say, aha, acupuncture must be working by closing down these gates and causing the nervous system to secrete endorphins that kill pain. The Chinese see a great opportunity here and they start doing acupuncture anesthesia on tens of thousands of people, letting journalists in to see people having brain surgery under acupuncture anesthesia, which is all a hoax. None of it's true. You can't do that with acupuncture. It's not what it was done for historically. And people were getting these abdominal surgeries, screaming out quotes from Chairman Mao's Little Red Book. And the surgeons who've done this since said, you know, the doctors have come out and said, I did 10,000 surgery on people, basically torturing them. Who didn't have, when they did it for the Western journalists, they would surreptitiously give real anesthesia before the surgery. So Patrick Melzack and Ronald Wall and, and, uh, Melzack and Wall notice that the trigger points that they've been studying have like a 98% correspondence to the acupuncture points. Meanwhile, thousands of Chinese come to America under the auspices of being acupuncturists who weren't acupuncturists when they got on the plane in China and they came as an immigration scam to open up clinics in Los Angeles and New York and down in Florida around the country and maybe they had some barefoot doctor training Maybe they knew 15 acupuncture points, but they certainly weren't literate enough to read the Neqing, Suwen, the Lingchu, and the Nanjing, and weren't educated in the depth of those traditions because only at the very smallest percentage of people in history in China were literate enough to read those books. It, it would be no different than thinking that your average physician could read Descartes and have an intelligent conversation. I mean, it's very hard stuff to read, and mm -hmm. it takes a huge cultural and philosophical context. Mm -hmm. You can't just read Descartes. You have to have read 200 other books mm -hmm. to, to understand Descartes and, or, to, or Heraclitus or any of these books that we read when we mm -hmm. worked in your philosophy class years ago. It's the same thing with Chinese medicine. You have to have a broad philosophical context and level of yeah. cultivation anyway that that yeah. no I, it's great to, to also hear this uh, this history also the, the recent history and also let's call it the materialist uh, decline of chinese medicine under marxist rule in in china and also i had no idea what you just, just described how, how chinese medicine came then in this way also to the u.s um I would like to ask an underlying question uh, that yeah. comes back also to different paradigms mm -hmm. and um, also kind of uh, trying to, to understand your integral understanding of this. Yes. Uh, because uh, from our uh, Western uh, medical understanding that is mostly materials reductionist, yes. uh, it's hard to have any clue uh, of what Chinese doctors right. are talking about when they're talking about meridian system. This is so fascinating. One, one, uh, one moment. Uh, uh, of course, you can go back and, and develop the old mythical understanding of that, and you can mm -hmm. go and, and basically uh, dive into this and leave all uh, science behind it. 
but that's mm. not what you try to do. Right. Uh, is there a form of integration? And if yes, how could this look like? Right. So let me make an all-important point here. The diff- you asked me before about, we talked a bit and you asked a bit about the different modes and the different worldviews of the two medicine. Yeah. <clears throat> the fascinating thing is that Western reductionist medicine, yeah. based on quantitative analysis and the treatment of symptoms, which is great in the emergency room. In the emergency room, you don't have to know about a person's upbringing or their psychological relationship Mm -hmm. to their parents or their siblings when a person's bleeding. When you're, If you're going to reduce that medicine to an absolute principle, then you're going to live in a universe of exteriors. The Mm -hmm. exterior can be the skin, but it can be the liver. Anything you can put on a scale and weigh is exterior. Mm-hmm. Anything you can take a photograph of, even if it's an electron microscope at 100,000 magnifications in exterior. Yeah. So in that, from that perspective, you live in a, a universe, a flatland of exteriors devoid of interior. But from the Chinese, the Chinese perspective never denied the existence of the body. The, from, from, and West shot hurtly in time, cause and effect. The person was healthy. They walked into a restaurant. The waiter coughed. The person ate their food. They took in a virus. It incubated for 10 days. They came down with this. They, that's all cause and effect. It's separated in time. Mm-hmm. The Chinese East Asian, not just Chinese, because Chinese, it's not Chinese medicine, it's East Asian medicine, and now So we don't just call it Chinese medicine, we can call it East Asian, but we have to acknowledge that the Jesuits bought it in 1650 or so to France, and it's been practiced in Europe for, for that amount of time, 61650. Directly. So the point of view, I mean, I mean, the point here is that Chinese medicine is synthetic. It's based on a synthetic worldview. The Buddhists would call it dependent origination. Uh-huh. Everything that arises together depends mm-hmm. on everything else that exists in that moment for its existence. From each other. From a Western point of view, Things are to each other if they're separate in time. That's linear time. But from a Chinese point of view, a East Asian point of view, things that are related together emerge together in time. Because of that, it's synthetic and it doesn't discount the body. Mm-hmm. The body, so when you're talking to me now, I see your face and you have a body and you have a pulse and you have a tongue and you have facial expressions and a color mm-hmm. around your face. There's a tone in your voice. There's the content of what you're speaking about. There's your emotional relationship to that content. There's the value system you hold and how you relate to your experience, and it's all emerging at the same time. As well, there are your familial relationships. Mm -hmm. There's the way you're interpersonally interacting with me. There are 
meanings that we share that are culturally constructed meanings, but there's your outlook on those meanings. There's there's a society with rules and regulations, but there's also a time of day, a climate, a season, a biosphere that you and I exist in that that exists simultaneously to how you're speaking. So it may be very windy out, and you may come in and say you have a headache, and you feel chilled on the back of your neck, and you might be angry. And mm-hmm. all of that is telling me gallbladder. But the gallbladder includes the gallbladder. Every It includes everything that a Western scientist and physician would say about it. But for the Chinese, it's a sphere of function that has a gross, a subtle, a causal, and a non-dual realm. Mm-hmm. So the gallbladder is the physical organ, it's mm-hmm. the tendons, it's vision, it's your capacity to take a broad perspective on things outside of you, it's the capacity to reflect into your own interiority, that's internal vision, it's external vision, but it's also the vision that an ophthalmologist mm-hmm. would test. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the emotion anger. It's the capacity to take and hold multiple perspectives. It's the capacity to creatively envision a better future. All of that is gallbladder. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that the Chinese have no hard time incorporating everything they get from other cultures. Mm-hmm. Let me ask, how, how do they do that? Because I understand, and let, let's also bring it together with this Buddhist term of interdependence. Yes. That's basically what, what you're describing. Yes. And to some degree, uh, Western uh, understanding has no real difficulties uh, to do this, uh, at least in systems theory. Uh, it, it, ha- it has a very highly, uh, uh, our understanding is not mechanical anymore in the, in the way it used to be. We are now into mm-hmm. systems theory and complexity theory. We hold this, but we hold this also from a different perspective. Yes. Uh, or a specific perspective. And it seems that what you are pointing to is still something different than this. Am yes. I right? Because Western systems theory is still a collection of things, uh-huh. but Chinese medicine is the functional interrelationship between things, but it doesn't exclude the things. And this is what's important. You said from a biomedical point of view, it's very hard to understand what an acupuncture point or a meridian is. Yeah. Because from a Chinese point of view, A meridian includes the body. Uh An acupuncture point includes the body, so it includes the skin and the cells and the nerves and the circulatory system and the lymphatic system and their relationship to the place you're putting the needle. Uh But everything physical from that perspective is always going to be the tip of an iceberg as an exterior to an infinite ocean of underlying function. And that, and that functional relationship between things can never be quantitatively measured. In other words, you and I have a relationship, but it has no weight. Mm-hmm. We could even ask, really, does it exist in time and space? There's a dimension that does, mm-hmm. but the most significant dimension that we have may exist before the distinction of time and space. But okay. the point but the point is if I I could put you in an electron microscope 
and thin section you from the bottom of your feet to the top of yeah. your head. And they could do that with me and they would never find the relationship yeah. between Tom and Arnie. Okay. That's, that's great. That really leads me to the question I wanted to ask. Uh, I understand from a, but from a scientific point of view, what we are called scientific, how do I find out? How, what you're saying, this doesn't show up if I don't measure it. Uh, from right. a scientific point of view, more or less, if I can't measure it, it does not exist. And this, uh, so, uh, so from a, from a Chinese point of view or an integral yeah. Chinese point of view, uh-huh. uh, if you don't want to go to some mythological understanding of what's going on, Yes. How do I find that something shows up if I am not able to measure it? So I think we're not going to talk. When I talk about integral, I would not talk about an integral Chinese point yeah. of view. For me, integral includes East, West, mm-hmm. all these capacities and a transcendence to something that goes further uh-huh. than, than either of them. It, it, it's just going to go deeper than, than either of them. So here, let me collect my thoughts on this for one moment, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, you made a distinction about from a scientific point of view. Mm-hmm. Generally, when people use the term science now, this is, this is how successful the Flexner report was. When you use the term science, you limit then the notion of what is scientific to to quantitative, mechanistic, reductionist methodology. Mm-hmm. But if we look at the criterion of science, you need empirical observations, mm-hmm. reference to a system of standards, falsifiability, and repeatability of results. Well, the Chinese had all of that 500 BC. The difference is, and the only difference between the two, is that Western medicine compares all findings to an agreed upon quantitative standard of reference, the CGS system, centimeters, grams, and seconds. Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine and science compare all observable phenomenon to a qualitative standard of reference. Which is? To qualitative. Well, they have, we have 13 different numbering systems. So we have zero, which would be emptiness. We have one, which would be luminosity. Zero and one are two things. That's yin and yang. We have the three heater, which is the body's thermostat. Mm-hmm. We have Four, four stages of progression of pathogenic heat. We have five elements. We have six divisions, six stages of progression of pathogenic cold. We have seven internal and external pathogens. The internal pathogens are the emotions. The external mm-hmm. pathogens are wind, cold, damp, heat, dryness, mm-hmm. um, dampness, for instance. And we have eight principles, which is eight organizations of yin and yang, an elaboration of yin and yang into yin and yang, interior, exterior, you know, fast and slow, excess and deficient, and hot and cold, and so on up to the number 12. So we have these 13 different systems, and all of them are looking 
They don't ignore quantity, but mostly they're qualitative. So we have 13 systems of qualitative referencing and Western medicine, Western science has all these ways of measuring things. Mm -hmm. From an integral point of view, we want to start, when we talk about science, we have to start understanding that there's a qualitative science that is just as rigorous as Western science. If you want to reveal a world space to me, that you can see that I can't, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look through the methodology that you're using to reveal that world space. So, so if I'm a Chinese medical practitioner in the Han Dynasty and you want to show me that germs cause flu, I could just laugh at you and say, that's ridiculous. I can't see anything in that Petri dish. I have to adopt the methodology of looking through the microscope. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Western scientist who can't understand what an acupuncture point or a meridian or what chi is, because you can't see it under a microscope, you're going to have to adopt my methodology of perceiving these things and being able to interact with them. And what we find out is that value systems lead us to choose methodologies that reveal world spaces that reinforce the value systems that led us to choose the methodologies in the first place. From an integral point of view, integral means that I'm willing to look through as many methodologies at any phenomenon as possible to reveal that phenomenon So if we're talking in as complete detail as possible. So I don't want to just look at my patient through a Chinese East Asian point, qualitative point of view. If if I feel I want them to go, you know, get an MRI of their breast Mm -hmm. because I can feel an incipient growth there. You know, I want them to go get their creatinine checked. So I, we want integral to me means we're, we're looking, we're looking through as many world spaces as we can to embrace as many perspectives. Let, let me go one step further because I understand what you're saying and I could yeah. adopt the perspective. Uh, I don't care whatever works I take, uh, and basically take with this pluralistic perspective. And if it works, it's great. Uh, yes. but, uh, that's not an integration yet. Right. Uh, it's just, uh, okay, uh, uh, yeah, plurality. And if it works, uh, I don't know, and it works and it's great. And basically, there's, there's the relationship to, uh, uh, to acupuncture anyway, uh, mm-hmm. uh, how people do it. But is there, is there a possibility to bring this together mm-hmm. uh, in our understanding of reality, what the reality is about? And if yes, what could that be? Yeah, it's a great question. Um I think what we're really looking at, okay, no individual is going to be able to adopt enough perspectives and enough expertise in those perspectives to practice in integral medicine in a way that it's theoretically possible. What we're looking at is a collective emergence here. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's in the way of the collective emergence is, is Look, we have a lot of Chinese medicine practitioners who say that they're practicing integrative medicine because they're ordering lab tests. But the truth is they went through 
schools that were mostly influenced by the Marxist version of Chinese medicine, which is just materialistic thermodynamics anyway. They don't understand the Chinese language and they have not read even, they have not even put in the time to read the excellent translations and all the commentaries we have now. So the people who are doing this integrative medicine, what are they, you have, in order to be a translator, you have to be fluent in the language you're translating into. And most of the people practicing integrative medicine are not. And similarly, you have just as many physicians who say they're doing integrative medicine because they take a weekend course in homeopathy. Or they take a, uh, they watch eight, 10 vi- or 20 videotapes on acupuncture and then they go take two weekends at a university somewhere taught by physicians, declare themselves acupuncturists and they say they're doing integrative medicine. What we really need is, is for practitioners to understand the weakness and strengths of their own approach, to become master practitioners of their own approach, but to understand the integral perspective cognitively to a significant degree and to actually not just be intellectually integral, but to become to embody the integral perspective um, as truly open-minded people interested in what they don't know and interested in creative dialogue with each other. And of course this is going on, but it's not the predominant movement in culture at this point. I, I would say, I would, so I've just written this, you know, 800-page text on integral medicine, looking at Chinese medicine as an integral medicine. But I'm clear in my introduction, integral medicine doesn't exist yet. It's it's Mm -hmm. incipient. And I really think it's going to be a collective emergence. You're never going to go to a practitioner who can take your pulses like I can and detect spots of stage zero cancer in your breast because that takes 40 years to do and also expect that person to do brain surgery on you mm. because that takes that takes decades and decades to master that diagnosis but what we need is respect and dialogue we don't want doctors we don't want psychiatrists and nurse practitioners and physicians handing out benzodiazepines to to patients who would do much better with a course of Chinese herbs and acupuncture and some compassionate talk and integral reframing of their life experience. You're opening up something and uh, 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 we are running out of time, so we we, uh, can't go into it, but it's uh, very fascinating. Basically, if I understand you right, you're saying uh, this is too much to hold for a single person. We yes. can only hold this together in a dialogical process. Mm-hmm. And the answer to my question, how, how the integration cannot be found, found by one answering it. It only can be found by holding a dialogue of all this perspective and its emergence uh, with the integrity that we have from our backgrounds to contribute to this dialogue. So that, that in itself is a very different answer because basically mm-hmm. it says also no single person can give the answer. We only can participate in the answer as it is emerging. Right. And that's just as true as it is for us as professionals. So it's not just a question of acupuncturists working with homeopaths, working with physicians. We need to work with philosophers. We need to work with the whole world. Is, we need new economic, new medical, new political, new military, new social, new legal, new educational systems. Mm-hmm. 
And there's no one system that is the integral answer to this. Integral of systems of systems of systems. We all have to come together. If you look at, to give you an analogy here, if you look at the place Western medicine comes, the worldview it comes at in treating a system that's a symptom that's already present, a person, they ignore a person's nutrition and exercise for 50 years. The person comes down with cancer, they cut it out, and then they bomb the person with radiation and chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so politically, you exploit a country for 50 or 100 years. You have no diplomacy with them. They crash planes into your building, and then you bomb them, and you send in the army to go to war, and then you do drone strikes against them. And all this does, when you... I mean, you have to take out the tumor by the time it happens medically, but taking out the tumor does nothing about the functional process that caused it any more than invading a country and systemically killing every new leader of the movement that comes does anything to introduce socio-political and economic justice in the on the world stage in a way that would alleviate the need for the manifestation of that symptom mm-hmm. In the first place, Tony, as harsh as your uh, example comes here, I think it <laughs> is a, a perfect example of uh, the difference between a mechanical understanding of medicine and an integrative understanding of it. Because right. sometimes it also it is uh, you have to make an intervention when you have cancer. That's not what you're saying you should not do. Uh, no, of course made, not. You made a distinction, so. Uh, thank you very much for this conversation. I really yeah. appreciate it. Well, well, thank you, Tom. It's it's great, and I'm always happy to come back. And um, it's really nice to touch base with you again. And um, I think the conclusion we came to that the real answer here is going to be a collective emergence. It's exactly. more than it's more than any one person can do, or any one of us can do, even separately. It, it's really going to involved the discussion not just between physicians and scientists but people in every discipline 